the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Uh, I'm Mother Jane Allison. I think I forgot to say that in the beginning. But some of you I saw last week, and some of you are new faces to me. So just let me say thank you for welcoming me into what is a wonderful congregation. So the living word of God that we heard this morning, I think is just taking off from the pages. We started with the poetry of the Psalms and the prophets in our tradition moving us to praise God. Like from the Psalm this morning, the works of God's hands are faithfulness and justice. All God's commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever because they are done in truth and equity. It's beautiful poetry, really. And I think lately we're seeing a, a resurgence in the, in the power of poetry and recognizing that words really can come alive. I think it, it, we see this when it made headlines since our young youth poet laureate amazed us all. Because like a prophet, she took the stage and she shared a vision for a future. For a future where a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. That, that is poetry. And it's not just that those phrases are beautiful, that they resonated with so many people hearing her speak. It's because her words were bringing to life a vision. A vision of a bright future. A vision, I think, that looks a lot like the kingdom of God we are striving to build all around us where folks from every nation, tribe, and people can gather around. That's how John's revelation paints the picture, at least. I'm just saying that the words God is faithful, the words God is just, the words God is full of truth and equity. That gets the point of cross, but does it move us the same way as poetry can? When we remember that the living word of God is a gift to each and every one of us. And it will move us to prayer and to action if we let it. Then we can allow ourselves to rest in God's faithfulness and really jump into it. Get caught up in the current of the words even. Prophet Micah said, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream as he was talking to people, wanting us to feel the rush of those words, and then for us to rush out and live those words, embody that truth, tell people about God. So justice, healing, equity, they're words. We need, we need stories to explain them to us, to understand them, and we get that in scripture. We get examples both of getting it right and of getting it wrong. That's all through the Bible. That's why we discuss it together in community to see the different parts of the scripture speaking to different ones of us. So the psalm for this morning that we read together as one voice in unison says God's works are faithfulness and justice, and they are done in truth and equity. For equity, the teacher part of me, forgives me, wants to explain the definition because equity and quality, they're real close in spelling, but they are a tiny bit different. So equity works like this. 
say we're at school, where you're all students now, and I'm at the nurse's station, and I have a box of Band-Aids, because that's what you find at the nurse's station, right? And one of you comes to me because you have a paper cut, and I give you a Band-Aid. And that's great because you have a paper cut. Well, another one of you comes in and you've really hurt your ankle. It looks sprained. So I give you a Band-Aid. Then another person comes in and they have a headache. And I give them a Band-Aid. See, that's all equal treatment so far, but it's not equitable treatment. I've withheld equity, actually, because I haven't provided for each person as they have need. Not every person needed a Band-Aid. They needed something else to experience real healing and understanding. So equity is providing for each as they have need, caring for each hurt with the best and fitting balm that it needs. Our God, who is faithful and cares for justice and equity, our God is our God of love. Anyone can claim that what they're doing is right or righteous or just or equitable. Anyone can, can use those words to puff themselves up. But there is a test to see if what someone claims and what they say lines up with our God who is loving and life-giving. That's the question to tell. That's the discernment. Is this life-giving? Because we know our God who created the universe, God who breathed life into Adamah out of the earth, God who animates our lives. That's the God we recognize at work all around us. So that's the life-living God people want to know about. And that's the God people are wondering, well, when this happens, is that from God? Or if this happens, is that from God? So we can discern and we can test, well, is it life-giving? because God provides the life-giving things in our lives. So we have a presiding bishop. He's the bishop above all the other bishops. He gathers them all together. Presiding bishop Michael Curry, he writes books, and I highly recommend all of them. And there's one book called Crazy Christians. It's a great title. And he has lots of examples of how it's so exciting to talk about God with people about our God working through justice and being revealed in equity and being faithful to us so that we can share our knowledge and love of God with others. And I want to point out that Michael Curry, you may have noticed if you've seen a picture of him, is a black man. He's also a grandfather now. He's not young. And he has seen the South go through some powerful changes. So he's a follower of Jesus. He's also a cradle Episcopalian, which by the numbers, we're a largely Anglo denomination, so that stands out. So Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. It is by the numbers. And yet we have Curry, who is a fine preacher and presiding bishop, in our branch of the Jesus movement, in our Episcopal church. But really, how is that? So I love this story, and I want to tell you. It's in that book, Crazy Christians. So... His mother, before his parents were married, his mother was attending an Episcopal church. And his father was also a faithful churchgoer, even a licensed preacher. But his father was young and was interested in marrying this wonderful woman. So he goes to her church with her. So here's how Curry explained his family faith history. My father didn't feel comfortable going up for communion. But when my mother went up, 
he watched closely. Was the priest really going to give her communion from the common cup? And if he did, was the next person really going to drink from that same cup? And would others drink too, knowing a black woman had sipped from that cup? He saw the priest offer her the cup, and she drank. Then the priest offered the cup to the next person at the rail, and that person drank. And then the next person and the next all down the rail. When my father told the story, he would always say, that's what's brought me to the Episcopal Church. Any church in which black folks and white folks drink out of the same cup knows something about a gospel that I want to be a part of. This is a life-giving example. That moment is a glimpse of seeing the kingdom of God embodied, embodied at a desegregated communion rail. And it was life-changing for generations to come. So a bunch of crazy Christians back in the day, ignoring segregation and its lies, sharing a common cup of wine, that's the kind of life-giving gift we know comes from God. So remember the tests for what is from God or not. Is it life-giving? This is an excellent example because segregation, yes, it is in, the, in our rear-view mirror in one way, although we are still suffering from its effects. But we can see that segregation claimed to be the proper order of this country, and it claimed to be divinely inspired and God-given even. You can use words for ill that way. But segregation was far from life-giving. And we see that not just here, but in South Africa, because we have seen that the end of segregation is, in fact, life-giving. For dismantling apartheid, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has been life-giving and healing, not because it has been easy, but because talking about the ugliness and injustice of the past and working through it has been divinely inspired because it brings understanding and healing, finally. We can see segregation was not something that could come from God because it was so hard to dig up and unroot from its bitterness and its hatred. Things that don't come from God are like a chokehold because it's desperation or greed or angry, and it's, it's trying to keep its destructive upper hand, so it's like closed fists. Open hands, on the other hand, open hands make me think of Holy Communion because when we gather for bread and wine, the only way we can give it and the only way we can receive it is in open hands. How different. Communion brings us closer to the kingdom of God because we share in Christ's body and blood. We share in a sacred meal from all the very different places we come from, from the different families we come from. And not that long ago, in, in Michael Curry's example, we gather as descendants of enslaved people and as descendants of slaveholders. And we come to the same table to see the dignity in each and every person whom God loves and feeds and cares for faithfully. This is good news. Good news is literally what gospel in the Greek means. It's the good news, the gospel. And we have a, a doozy of a gospel passage for this morning, actually. So I'm going to talk about that, that evil trying to strangle 
and how different it is from God with open hands offering us life. That Jesus character, you know, is always talking about the kingdom of heaven. But for the gospel today, he's showing it instead of telling it. It's by his living example that we enter into it. Mark is the gospel writer for this passage. And Mark wrote his gospel, his good news of Jesus Christ, in a bit of a hurry. It's the oldest gospel. So he was the first out of the gate to write about it, to tell other people about what was going on. Mark's gospel account is also the shortest. So he wrote it in a hurry. But the words he uses, he's really careful about. So we can see that they all matter. And Mark is a man of action, so he's always writing about Jesus' actions. And Mark started his gospel right away with a bang, or a boom maybe. I don't know. It's Jesus in the baptism in the River Jordan. I know you've heard it. He gets soaked. Sorry. He gets soaked. And then Mark is always saying, and suddenly, and then, or immediately. So, and then Jesus, possessed by the Spirit of God, was driven out into the wilderness. And when he returned, this is his first public hearing that we just heard, his first public healing. And it was to free a man possessed by a demon, healed of an unclean spirit. So Jesus really is tackling evil to the ground right out the bat, man of action. Possession is important here. I think we have two very opposite possessions set up. On the one hand, you can be completely possessed by God and wish to heal and be healing. Or you can be taken over by what is totally not God, by destructive forces that corrupt, that tear apart. The gospel says it was the day of the Sabbath, the day of rest, today to hear from the scrolls and gather as a community. So what does it tell us that it was the Sabbath when this man with the unclean spirit shows up. It tells us that evil never takes a day off, even. Evil works hard to keep its grip wherever it can, to keep tearing people apart like thorns in your garden. So what is God going to do about this? Well, Jesus, remember, full of the Holy Spirit, possessed by the Holy Spirit, just filled to the brim, you might say, He sees the man, and that man, the unclean spirit inside of him, recognizes who Jesus is, but not in a positive way. He's worried about what God's going to do about this. So what does Jesus, full of the spirit, do? He casts out the unclean spirit right then and there. And I think that right there is pretty dramatic. So the the Russians know something about drama. Anton Chekhov wrote a bunch of plays, and I'm paraphrasing this really horribly, but he said, if you introduce a gun in the first act, it better go off by the third act. So right out the gate, Jesus lays hands on the man, calls out the demon, thrusts it away. So the loaded gun here is Christ the healer, because the action, the explosion, is freedom. He is setting this man free. He's doing it immediately. It's how we know that Jesus is a liberator. Now, this is a hard gospel. 
And if, if a man being healed from an unclean spirit, something we can't see, we weren't there to see it, we're being told this. In some translations, it's, it's a demon coming out. And if that makes you think of creatures with pitchforks, those are cartoons. I don't want you to, to go there. No, let's, let's look at the big picture. Jesus is showing love and compassion for this man, and he is restoring the man to himself the way he is meant to be. And Jesus is healing him from his torment. He's not shying away from his pain. And the man gets to be freed from what had a deadly grasp on him because our God does not want us to die in pain and in agony with with addiction, with sorrow, with broken relationships. No, our God wants us to be freed, to have reconciliation, to have our hearts healed in so many different ways, body, mind, and soul. That's the power of God's love at work because the deepest desire of God is to set us free so we can experience real freedom and tell people how good it is to know real freedom through Christ. Our God is a liberating God, and that's how we know our God is a God of love. We remember, we remember that our God is serious about liberation every time we have a baptism. And I'm so glad I get to see the font from here as a reminder, as a physical reminder of this. Because each time we gather for a baptism, whether it's in a baby or an adult or a family, I've seen it, it happens, a whole family getting baptized at once, we start by thanking God for the gift of water and baptism. And we go back, way back in our memories, our, our family faith history, to remember the crossing of the Red Sea. Because that wasn't just a really great trick, moving the water to the side so they can move through the Red Sea. No, what's amazing about that story is the liberation, not moving water out of the way. Because God led God's people out of slavery into freedom to depend on God, not pharaohs, not idols, not ourselves, just God, and to know and experience real life-giving freedom. Love incarnate, love made flesh, God with us is always reaching out and is always wanting to free us. So that's the good news we have. It's different from what other headlines have. It's the good news we have to offer this world. And it's the good news we aren't supposed to just talk about, but show it and live it. John the evangelist also wrote letters to churches in Ephesus. So in your Bible table of contents, it looks like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So he wrote it like this. If we love one another, God lives in us. And God's love is made known in us. So by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So if that is too long of a Bible verse to memorize, I know you can remember songs. I know I can. And I'm sure you've probably heard the song, they, are, they will know we are Christians by our love, right? It begins, we are one in the spirit. And we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, the same Spirit. We are one in the Lord. When we pray that our unity will one day be restored, a vision of the future, 
And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians. How? By our love. Easy to remember. Easy to draw on when when it's hard to show love in this world. And yet it's still our calling. So we draw from the strength that God's love is never ending. Since we follow a God of love, of healing, and of liberation, it's up to us to be known by our love in the world. We are to be known for being crazy Christians even, possessed by that same Holy Spirit, and working as Christ in this world to come close to people and show them love. We are to work for real healing, real reconciliation, real liberation, which means our work is cut out for us. And we need to stick with it for the long haul. Because this I know to be true. Forces of evil that, speak, that seek to imprison and abuse and destroy the human spirit, they don't take a day off. So if you want to see evil running for the hills, we've got to embody God's love in such a way that people know we believe in the power of the life-giving, life-redeeming, life-liberating power of God's love. We stand up and move our bodies when we, when we rise and we say the creed together because that's what we stand for in the world. And we say that we believe. We believe in the power of Jesus Christ who casts out the unclean spirits. And we believe in Jesus who preached the kingdom of God for all to hear and come close. And, and we believe in Jesus who was executed by the state But then, because of his love for this world, because of the power of this world, he even descended to the dead. Because there is nowhere your God will not go to show God's love for you and for the world. Will literally walk through hell for you. That's very good news. So that good news goes hand in hand that evil is afraid. Afraid of you and I, just as we are. Because when we act like Christians and love this world boldly, like Christ loves this world, evil is afraid of the power you and I have to be reconcilers and healers in this world, to offer healing with open hands, to lift up the broken, to free the prisoner, and to be known for love above all else. Amen.